Hi guys and welcome to another episode of Mind the Health Camp. This week we have with us Muna Omar, who's a global health and development student at UCL, also a midwife. Yes. So welcome Muna. Welcome Muna. Thank you guys. Yeah, she's also my friend, so I might be a bit biased. <laughs> Bringing all your friends to this podcast. Listen, it's Somali takeover, as far as I'm concerned. So. You respect. Um, so, how's your week been? Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you want to take this one? Yeah, we study the same thing, oh, so your week is my week. Yeah, it's, it's been hectic. Yeah. It's been very, very hectic. Yeah. Uh, we have an exam next week. Stop. And an essay. No. <laughs> <laughs> not only really that man but like we're both nhs girls so in the yes. weekend it's just we're superheroes there's a lot to do with <laughs> legit there's a lot <laughs> legit it's it's a madness yeah it is. it's the worst employer but you know <laughs> yikes but yeah <laughs> yeah before we start our today's topic so we're doing uh a commentary on the policy vaccine episode that we did last week yeah i just want to get muna to talk about why she went from a midwife into the global health field yeah why did you do Ooh, that why okay. so um i never really planned to stay within the sort of like the midwifery profession mm-hmm. i've always wanted to kind of work like in an international setting um but i need i wanted to get those skills so i could like volunteer abroad and actually have like a background sort of clinical knowledge mm. um so my plan was to do a master's in global health after this so i can take that step further in a sense yeah how did you find out about global health because not many people know about it i was 19 when i discovered it really and i was like i want to do it at ucr as well yeah how How though i was like like, right i was looking at masters um on the ucr um website for the postgraduate section yeah and i was just kind of going through them and then i saw global i saw women's health but that was just very much it was very one-dimensional in a sense but mm, then sexist. i read the <laughs> no, i'm kidding <laughs> it was very clinical yeah. and i just wanted something more for that kind of encompassed like mm, politics mm. and international so, yeah so um i had a look at the global health and john looked at the yeah really that's how I got into it. Yeah. and as a person yes. who's worked as a midwife before yeah. and um you're pretty much at the fold of global health yes actual yeah. like you see all mm. that you experience all, the all these policies yeah. that we talk about yeah. all these movements um you are basically part of the healthcare system yeah. that delivers this. And how has this shift from being a midwife mm-hmm. um, to into an actual global health perspective mm-hmm. move? How has that changed your perspective and views on things like? I think um, in terms of sort of delivering the global health agenda within within the NHS. Exactly. How do you deliver? the global health agenda yeah. in primary care in terms of what you've specialised in so or the we, issues that you've seen sorry to cut no, you no, that's absolutely fine so um, we just kind of I feel like with midwifery it's kind of you have your guidelines and you're there to kind of disseminate and implement those policies um, but in terms of sort of the wider um, the wider principles behind it we don't actually know much about it, mm. in, in a sense. We, it's more to do with the clinical aspect. We don't really think about the policies underpinning the, what yeah. we're doing, yeah. basically. So starting Global Health has been really eye-opening in the sense that I, I feel like it can... It's like these massive concepts. You kind of understand how it's being filtered through from, like... In the systems, government. yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah. down to um, us as healthcare workers and eventually your patients. Mm. That's yeah. interesting, definitely. Yeah. 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 No. yeah. Are you ready to outline? Yeah, I am so ready. <laughs> <Today's> <laughs> I'm, so <episode>? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you remembered today. Um, 
Yes, guys. So basically, those of you who listened last week will know that we focused on um, consent, um, the ethics uh, of vaccine policy. We focused on how the policy here compares to the policy abroad and also how how does making should we make vaccines policy uh, compulsory, should I say? Mm -hmm. Um, And pretty much this episode, we're just going to throw those questions to Moena <laughs> and ask her like what she thinks. So like I don't know, Mohammed, do you want to start? Should I start? Um, I definitely want to start. Wow. Okay. It. Narcissist. <laughs> All right, game. go on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just before we get into actual concepts and looking at what we've discussed, the arguments that we made in mm. the last episode, it's just good to get your actual thoughts mm-hmm. and um, general views of the vaccine policy. Like. Yeah. What do you think of vaccine policy in the UK? I actually tend to agree with the vaccine policy in the UK. Mm. Um, what aspect of it? Uh, the, the aspect that you can't coerce anyone into basically accepting uh, vaccinations. Mm. Um, obviously, it's different across the globe. Wherever you go in America, it's mandated. But in the UK, it's um, consent-based. Yeah. Um, and I totally agree with that. I, I feel like... Mm. For so, the UK has met. Um, the WHO has declared the UK to be uh, measles free in twenty sixteen. It doesn't mean that they've eradicated the, the disease, yeah. but um, it meant that um, it's not really native to the to the country. Country, yeah. So we were able to achieve that despite having our policies of um, just of, of gaining consent from yeah. p- parents and mm. such. Mm. Um, and I feel like. By having these policies, it doesn't actually de- deter. It doesn't. It doesn't have a negative impact to the extent that we, or some people like to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you, the compliance has been pretty good, I mean, it still was below ninety five percent for a couple of years. And yeah. It's been a while to get back to that, but mm. it's more. I feel like it's more to do with structural issues. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Rather than it being. Um, parents just not wanting to vaccinate their mm. children so like the anti-vaxxers that you guys mentioned um i feel like the nhs the current system the way the format of it right now um it's just missing a lot of people due to the or- the organizational structure um we lost our measles free status in 2019 yeah and a lot of people largely they say it's due to the fact that the nhs there was a massive reorganisation in 2013 yeah. in the NHS. Yeah. So that made there's a lot of inconsistencies between who's providing these services. That, oh, yeah. I see. Okay. So GPs are doing some areas, other healthcare professionals are doing others. Okay. So it's like a mismatch mm. and a communica- communication and breakdown. who normally does this? Sorry to cut you off. So, so for instance, when we have parents come in... Uh, speaking as a midwife, guys. Midwife. <laughs> <laughs> so when we have the parents come in, so after when they deliver and they go home... The the health visitor comes Mm. visits them Mm. and she or he um, basically outlines the immunisations that that child is going to require. Mm -hmm. So either they will deliver it, but there'll be a verbal discussion about that or be to their GPs. So that's, it depends on like the areas that, the catchment area that you would be in. in. Exactly. So would you say if it was more rural areas, it would be the health visitor doing it? Like whereby like they, there's mm. no easy access to a GP. Yeah, most okay. likely because okay. they're they're a lot more mobile in, a, in that sense. And yeah. just for our um, listeners, like, what is a health visitor? 
So a hall visitor is typically a nurse or a midwife who's done a further qualification mm. um, to become a hall visitor. So they tend to deal with um, newborns up until the age of five, but they're also kind of involved in the social aspect of that as well. And have you ever... Sorry, Mohammed, to just yeah, take I've over. Yeah, I've just got a, just a little question. Mm. This question is veered in the idea of what do you think as a midwife yeah. of um, early vaccines for children, so infant, um, yeah. early born vaccines for kids before you answer this question mm-hmm. have you ever done you interrupted me <laughs> have you ever done the hell the visitor role yourself no i haven't i've shadowed someone mm. who did that and it's quite i feel like it's quite full on yeah because there's a lot of uh not only are they doing the health aspect of it but they also have to think about the social social side mm, as well of things yeah, yeah. okay now yeah. you can answer this question um <laughs> so what do i think about newborn vaccinations mm, uh, are they as important as the government officials and health professionals say? I think it depends. So let me give you an example. So where the hospital that I work at, um, so London has the highest TB rates in the country. And within London, there's specific uh, areas that have even higher prevalence rates. Mm. So so where I'm working at, where my hospital is based at, we have uh, one of the highest TB rates in London. That's mad. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. So because of that, this doesn't mean it's not a nationwide thing, but for our hospital, we uh, give the BCG vaccination as a newborn, yeah, rather than the age of thirty. Because of because that of the prevalence, height, yeah. yeah, okay. And so the demographic is typically, you know, South Asian, African, Black Caribbean, and so that's a demographic we tend to cover as well, mm. as well as Romanian. Um, so to that extent, I would agree with the um, newborn vaccination okay. because it's an airborne disease, and you can. But it depends. I feel like it's a case by case situation. Mm. So the services are available for certain areas depending yeah. on the context and yes. where the prevalence is of a certain diseases or certain exactly uh, yeah. infectious diseases. Yeah. Okay, and so it's flexible in that sense. So, like, it's not a binding no. actual um, legislation that says this should be available for everyone. It depends on the context, like you said. Yeah, because okay. the BCG isn't it's not part of the nationwide scheme of immunizations, like you know, the MMR and yeah. DPT. Um, but the, there's specific guidelines uh, for certain hospitals because of the risk that they these areas pose. pose yeah. Um so therefore they've acted upon that evidence. Um so yeah. Where do they get this evidence from? Do we trust the evidence, huh? That's a whole <laughs> other question. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and who frames this as a risk? So exactly, is it the prevalence in the area, or is it a, a board of guys that are, that are risk assessors that do this? So it's interesting because, like, when you look at the um, Public Health England um, reports, they don't actually tell you whether it's a prevalence or the incidence rate that they're actually stating. Mm. <laughs> so they're just they're just like the rate of, but you don't know to, which to one exactly. it is. And so like, let me just clarify for people that have no like global health background, like these two terms mean completely not completely different things, but they mean different things. They assess different things. Exactly, they assess different things, but when they're used interchangeably, it completely changes the meaning of what you're trying to describe. Yeah. Um, So for those of you who don't know, prevalence is just a way of describing like the rate of existing cases and incidence is the rate of new cases. Mm. Um, A bit of revision. (laughs) But but, um, yeah, that really changes a lot that they're not telling us this. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mohammed, do you have another question or can I um, ask the next no. question? Uh, yeah, you can go for the second okay, question. Okay, cool. So, 
one of the things Muhammad and I went back and forth last week about was this mm. idea of consent and this so basically in the public health guidelines their little green book they say yeah. that for you to get for someone to give consent like a 16 or 17 year old mm. or even parents they need to have all the information about a vaccination that means the good the bad the side effects yeah. what are your thoughts about that so okay from what I've studied, when it comes to informed consent, so for instance, you know when you're carrying out surgeries or just any sort of medical, um, um, anything medical that you need to do, yeah. examination or yeah. whatever, um, the informed, so for instance, for surgery, there's so many risks, like you could have indirect, like indirect risks, and yeah. you can't state all, all of them. them. Yeah. So you have to do obviously the, the, mo- the main ones, uh, the predominant sort of factors. Mm-hmm. Um, you just need to give them in enough information that they can make a decision. Yeah. Basically. Okay. So for vaccination, we c- we can tell them the general side effects. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, I f- I feel like it is important because often what you see is, um, especially when it comes to ethnic minorities or or new immigrants, mm. um, there's a for them like English is not maybe a first language. Yeah. And so, people. I don't think that, that people don't give them informed consent because mm-hmm. to have informed consent you need to understand what you're exactly consenting to 100%. yeah yeah so often what you find is healthcare providers just like tell them this is side effects this is the risk this is the benefits are you okay with that and then people just just agree with it because mm-hmm. they don't actually have mm-hmm. in you know so um I agree with informed consent um it's worked well for us mm-hmm. I feel like it's very important because the UK used to have a very um a paternalistic sort of medical model yeah and as the years went by, a new legislation has been passed, um, uh, and ethics has become uh, a very uh, important factor. Mm. We've been able to move away from the whole idea of the healthcare provider, the doctors, very vast, mm. and you're secondary to your own decisions. Yeah. To now having the that sort of power or autonomy is given to the to the parents and to the patients, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's very important. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Mohammed, any thoughts, bro? Um. Yeah, just to um, f- just further clarifications. Mm. Do you so? Do you think the government needs to be more transparent, despite the language barriers or even cultural barriers? Say, if a risk factor is something's going to happen after, sorry, a risk factor after a surgery mm-hmm. or a vaccination, th- uh, there's a probability that this is going to happen. This is going to happen. But obviously, if there's a language barrier, mm-hmm. they could take it as literally mm-hmm. something happening. Yeah. So even even though as a health professional you know that, that is the likely chances of that happening is quite limited. Yeah. Do you think we should still provide this information? That's a really good question. Um, I think in general I think we should, but at the same time it's ensuring that people have understanding. So mm. for instance, um, instead of having leaflets that are only in English, mm. have leaflets that are in different languages. So for instance, for my hospital, we have leaflets on the BCG um, immunization, but a lot of our demographics that we serve, like I mentioned before, mm. are from uh, different different ethnic minorities. Yeah. But we don't actually have uh, leaflets that cater to their languages. Languages, yeah. So I feel like as long as you're able to convey the actual so there's a, that it's, uh, that it is a minuscule risk yeah and that should be okay yeah. because that you like if if they went back in their country and the doctor's telling them the exact same thing or the healthcare professional is telling them the exact same thing mm. their their understanding would be the same, the same. it's just the, the yeah. language that was barrier. literally my next question just to interrupt 
I'm just trying to be devil's advocate here. Can I just ask my question, Mohammed? Wait, after me. Oh my god. Yeah. I just wanted to say, you know, our NHS is yeah. quite vulnerable in that sense. And um, do you think we'd be able to provide those services? It's quite difficult to have like many languages. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, I agree. How would you do that? Because if you think about it, like. 97% of the UK is predominantly British white, you know. It's only London that you're looking at, like... Okay, yeah. And so, and it's certain hospitals, it's not all hospitals. Like, so when I used to work at a hospital in, in central London, the demographics are very much upper-middle class, yeah. white sort of background. But there are, obviously, occasionally you'd have, like, different different people from different social classes and mixes. But where I'm working is <laughs> a very much... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just very... It, the, the the majority are ethnic minorities. No, that's fair. Do you know what? So when it I, makes sense. When I used to work in Royal London Hospital, because it's a very Bengali centre, in it? Like, it's a very dominated South Asian area. Mm. They very much catered to it in, like signs were in bengali yeah um so i mean i i guess i understand because if you think about it it's a case what, by what case situation it's not like you're, you're rolling for, it out every, for every single hospital. country okay exactly. but you know that in in these remote places that it might be majority british people mm. um they will still be ethnics no 100%. so what do you do in those places when services don't cater for them in fact this leads on to my question before i was really interrupted really really <laughs> <laughs> Like, how, like, okay, leaflets in mm. that language, cool, that's just one way. But how how do you actually make vaccine policy inclusive mm-hmm. for ethnic minorities? And not just by language barriers, but I mean also culturally and also religiously. As in, because some vaccines use gelatine. And yeah. if you're a Muslim, mm-hmm. that is haram. Yeah. Wh- where do we go from there? I think, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with this one because I feel like with the government um, they're more focused on again just the risks the benefits ensuring that people get vaccinated Um, and then you have religious you know sort of uh, rationales for why they don't choose it but no one actually follows up on that if that makes sense Um, I remember you guys talking about the HPV um, vaccination vaccination. Mm. yeah and so uh, there's not a lot of knowledge like in our community I just remember it, so I was at the age when they were rolling out to the second to schools and you know in year 10 in year 10 from year exactly, exactly. and so mum was like you, you don't need for us. yeah <laughs> wait why did she say that? she's like you don't need it like she's like you're not why did she like, say that because <laughs> <laughs> pressuring our guests okay, beauty yeah. no I know why she said <laughs> that I'm sorry no no no, no. it's because it's there's this conception that you you have like band injections only for sexually active people yeah. because of the fact that it's transmitted through Food that sexual way yeah. Contact. yeah yeah so it was and and I was like yeah none of, like none of us needed it but um, for later on in life as you grow older like there's there's all, that that risk kind of still po- that's it's still there, still there. Yeah. yeah so I feel like um, they just kind of tend to leave you no one actually kind of tries to go to communities and actually address Explain their concerns it, yeah. yeah and which is why you kind of have um, the uptake, for instance, in Hackney for the MMR is like 70, I don't know, 71%. Yeah. Whereas somewhere like in County Durham is like 97%. Yeah. And so you have to kind of ask yourself, why are there why these differences? That? And of course, like with Hackney, you have, again, different people from different backgrounds, mm-hmm. different social classes. Um, so, yeah. What was the question? Did I even answer it? <laughs> well, yeah, no, you did. With you Global Health, you can't really answer, answer the question. <laughs> you <laughs> never get it. But like, your input you was important in yeah. understanding... Okay. The yeah. concept. Mah- sorry, Mohammed, I answered 
I skipped a question, but can you go back to the previous one about changing it, like to it being compulsory? I don't want to ask it. <laughs> Four. Oh, okay. So <laughs> yeah, this question is about. So what are your thoughts on changing the vaccine policy so that we make it compulsory? Mm-hmm. So, and once once we make it compulsory, like parents who refuse mm-hmm. have to either. Um, stop their kids from going, from going to school yeah. or um, get punishment via, say, a fee or... Yeah, I don't agree with that. So, you know, it's, it's, good to, it's interesting you mentioned that because in Australia, um, even though they don't have a mandated uh, compulsory vaccination yeah. scheme, yeah. however, what they do have is they try and incent- try and sort of coerce people into doing it by um, with, withholding welfare, pay- welfare payments. Mm. And if you think about... That's very much targeted towards a particular. That was quite regressive. Oh, targets the poor. Yeah, we we yeah. spoke about this last last week, right? Yeah. yeah. But, that, but that's the issue because you're only targeting a certain population. So if mm. you're well off, that doesn't, doesn't apply to you. you. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. So I feel like with those sorts of legislations, I feel like it's quite difficult in the sense that I feel like one group is suffer more than the, Others, the other. Yeah. And so even with America, they have the um, no no inject, no vaccination no school policy. Um, I feel like that's quite coercive. Um, they do say they do cite religious exemptions and um, sort of like conscientious objections, but then that that kind of I feel like that just. Sorry, sorry, conscientious. Blah, conscientious. That word. I'm fighting my English today as always. <laughs> Every time. How is <laughs> how is that? Mm. How is then that not? as legitimate as some of the arguments anti-vaxxers make. Well, you're not actually going to think I'm, an, I'm an anti-vaxxer. I'm not. I'm just... <laughs> By week <laughs> four, everyone thinks... <laughs> I'm an anti-vaxxer. I'm not, guys. But genuinely... Mm. No, I, I don't think... It does... Like, anyone, any anti-vax, anyone can apply under those terms. Mm. So I feel like it's quite self-defeating in a sense. In a sense, yeah. Yeah, because if it's... Yeah, I, I just... That's, that's and, like, just to follow on from Mohammed's point. So if the UK government does decide well actually we are going to make vaccine policy compulsory Mm -hmm. how what do you think that will do for vaccine movements particularly in the UK because Mm -hmm. I mean we we obviously have anti-vaxxers but not to the same extent as people in America or the rest of Europe so what do you think that will do for There's a study, I think this is an American study, and they said that um, by mandating immunisations, it actually led to an increase in uptake, but that's obviously can't generalise those results to the UK. Yeah. British people are very different to American people. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> if we did make it, because we're, we're very used to our autonomy, and I yeah. think if we did make it compulsory, that would actually propel the anti-vaxxer movement furthermore, mm. because you're removing this choice from everyone else, and then there's that distrust as to why you're doing that. And do sense. you think... Whereby, sorry, whereby we have such a voluntary, mm. like autonomous policy mm-hmm. that will that will just make an anti-vax vaxxer movement that holds a lot of weight. As in, there is actually basis behind mm-hmm. why is people are anti-vaxxers. Yeah, you know, people will actually go to be more informed. Mm-hmm. What, like, what? How do you think the anti-vax movement here will transcend compared to everywhere else? Do you think it would be? Do you think it would empower them, in a sense? Yeah. Sorry, these are really big questions. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Can you repeat that? I was just. I pretty much just asked, how do you think 
the anti-vax mm-hmm. movement would be different mm-hmm. here. Yeah, as opposed to... To, like, everywhere else. Well, like, would it help hold more weight? I, is that, like, that was um, my question, right? Yeah. yeah. I think it will, because in the current climate that we're in, there's a lot of, um, you know, populist movements. There's a lot of, like, very... Um, extreme leftist movements mm. there's, a, there's a very you're getting sort of like these new new ideas re, or re-emerging really um and i feel like in this political climate that we're currently in it they would they would have more momentum here yeah as opposed to what 10 15 years ago yeah okay in a sense um but i feel like the anti-vax movement is different wherever you go because they're being um their rationale for doing it is, is completely different from one country to the next. To another. Yeah. yeah, I understand that completely. Um, um, yeah, I think this is our last question, unless Mohammed has anything else to add. Mm. <laughs> oh, now you're silent. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just thinking um, your last point. Um, can I just go back to that? What go do you ahead. mean um, ev- the anti-vaccine movement is different in different countries? Um, oh, that's a good thing, actually. Expand. Okay. <laughs> so, so for instance, the Democratic Republic of, Republic of Congo, um, when the Ebola crisis came out, there's a lot of movement against the vaccinations because it was a Canadian product. So right. that, that's what they took issue with. Okay, yeah. No, yeah. I remember reading about this. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and then if you look at India, the anti-vaccine movements are very much from a religious, religious and traditional background. Okay. Um, so... I, Nigeria, it's not really an anti-vaccine movement, but they don't have uh, uh, a great rate of immunisation records, but that's more to do with the structural problems. In the country, yeah. Yeah. So, so like I said, every country gives weight uh, to different things, because the context is different, like you mentioned before. And then again, in America, that's more to do with the religious populist movements of it. Okay, yeah, I, I get that. That's because Americans are very special. But yeah, um, <laughs> so I think, I don't even know like how to even ask this question, but I guess something that I really grapple with in with vaccine policy is this emphasis of the encouraging um, of uptake of mm. immunization of some vaccines over the other, of over others. Like, yeah. how does that work? Like, how, how do you think, I mean, obviously you're not a policy advisor, <laughs> but how do you think people come to a conclusive, like, agreement that you know what we're gonna push for this nationally you know this is important and this isn't do you think it's based on data we have Mm -hmm. on the prevalence of some diseases or how do you think they come to those i'm sure it's based on some sort of data i mean if they want to have any sort of political way or or any sort of influence Mm. you're gonna have to have some sort of evidence backing you up but it is quite interesting because you know Tuberculosis is a deadly virus. Yeah. But it's, uh, sorry, deadly um, disease. disease but it's yeah. <laughs> Dead virus. <laughs> Global health student. <laughs> Slip the tongue. Um, so, so yeah, but then but then you have... I feel like sometimes it's more to do with a target that they want to meet. Yeah, so, like, I was about w- to ask you, you is there mean? an agenda there? Yeah. yeah, so WHO wanted to like eradicate polio. They managed to do that. Mm. And so it's kind of like something they could put out there that they've done it's, it's more to do with results than anything else I, so I it's think. not about the well-being of people i mean there's an element of that. yeah but i also feel like that to say that is that the only thing like driving these uh campaigns of vaccinations forward is to do with the well-being yeah the only the only fact that well-being is yeah it's a bit it's a yeah. bit delusional yeah. to think that yeah because yeah. okay. um yeah mohammed do you have any other questions and um 
how do they frame that? Do you think through charities, through different non-states, state um, actors? So, mm. how do they frame what is important in terms of should we have um, outreach or make say the TB vaccine important, more important than certain vaccines? Yeah. Like, who frames these issues? I mean, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's not a UK issue if that makes sense like this is a, a wide there's a wider consensus about which vaccinations are more you know deemed important more important others, yeah. or exactly than others so france uh germany and other countries have the exact almost similar um schemes as the U- united mm. kingdom so i feel like it's more of a broader um it's more to do with a broader sort of uh actor more like the who 100 and people invested in the who and their exactly. agendas this is our essay guys <laughs> but um some tips? yeah <laughs> <laughs> no but it's true because the who are setting these targets for countries to meet the 95 yeah. uptick isn't is not set by the uk it's yeah. set by the, w, w, yeah. the who okay. um and then you have people like bill gates who are Again, oh, this <laughs> so much things to say about him. Yeah. Um. But then you have people like the Gate, uh, all the Gates Foundation, who are very much focused on immunizations as well, because I feel like it's a it's an easy way to see progress or an easy way for them to say, look, this is what we've done, and these are the results that we're getting, rather than tackling more sort of deep seated issues. All right. Um. Okay. Well, I guess. Oh wait, go on. You had some more to say. I, she she one fingered me, <laughs> like yes. one moment. Um, so it's quite interesting because uh, we were talking about sort of um, the different sort of vaccine policies in yeah. different countries. Yeah. So with America, the way they kind of because you know America is all about um, you know individual freedom, and so it's quite interesting how they're the ones that are kind of overriding consent mm. despite. Amendment yeah, the constitution. and being like the most democratic country in the exactly, world. Exactly, yeah. yeah, and people's freedoms. Um, <laughs> so, but it actually began in the 19th century. So, um, so school attendance became compulsory, mm. and then that led to like a rapid increase of uh, students being in sort of one public space, which mm. led to an increase in the risk of smallpox. So then there was um, a Supreme Court case in 1922, um, whereby the court had ruled in favour that the school can deny admission to children who had have, so cannot prove they've been vaccinated and then again it was upheld in like 1978 i think um so it's interesting to see kind of like the historical factors that played on this you say historical but this is happening in italy right now yeah literally yeah mm, okay i don't know anything about that do you want to enlighten me mohammed i mean you brought it up in italy <laughs> Vaccinations are compulsory, so you have they are, to. They are, yeah. Have, you have to basically take your certificate mm-hmm. when you're enrolling into schools kids, and colleges. Yeah. If not, your kids denied uh, entry to That's the school. That's so mad to me. Like, what's their results? Did they have a good uptake of, of immunizations? Or I mean, they're trying to, but I mean, a lot of Italians. So the government is for these regressive mm-hmm. um, approaches because it affects. It disproportionately affects those who are poor. Yeah, as always. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, in terms of actual data, yeah. it seems to be working. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, more children are getting vaccinated and but, coming to school. Because school also, is culturally something that strikes everything in terms of anywhere you are, school is important to family. Uh, it's culturally universal. People would want to take their kids to school. So, if you're denying them this right... Yeah. The, they won't really want to 
battle in that sense. Exactly. But mm. I find the issue I find with that is there are lots of different sort of avenues you can take in order to reach those targets. Mm. Like the UK has proven that itself. Um, the fact that they've reached that status of measles free in 2016. Yeah. Because they, they were aggressive in terms of um, trying to ensure that the most difficult to reach groups, the vulnerable groups like the travellers, mm. um, newly um, new immigrants to the country were also um, that they were also sort of um, seen and I've lost my words you have to say, but you have to think it's fine, wait, are you done? Okay. <laughs> you have to think though, we have quite different healthcare systems so mm. that also plays into the fact like yeah even even though it works for us it might not work for them for that reason no it's true mm. it's true um like i like mentioned earlier i feel like um the sort of like the mandate wouldn't work in the uk yeah. but it can work in america yeah because i feel like in america they're more deferential to power as opposed to the uk the, yeah yeah 100 <laughs> um yeah so last okay this is actually the last question before <laughs> mohammed's like does his closing yeah where do we go from here, Moena? Like, this is our last episode on vaccine policy, so Ooh. this answer has to be nuanced, this okay? Is such a deep, I was not prepared for this. <laughs> this answer has to be such nuanced. A deep question. Where, where do we go from here? Like, what do you think the government should be focusing on now? Or public health, even, not even government, public health officials, mm-hmm. um, public health England? I feel like, you know as a society we've been transitioning like from the 70s to where we are yeah. now from moving from like a paternalistic model yeah. to where we are now yeah. and I feel like we can't keep the same sort of methods that we've been using for the past decade or so mm. isn't going to work anymore because again society has changed yeah. our viewpoints have changed yeah. so I feel like in the current climate we're in if you look at what's happening, like in terms, especially when you look at politics and what's happening across Europe in, t- in terms of populist movements in America as well there's a massive shift in public trust when it um for, in, with regards to government and organizations so i feel like that gap needs to be bridged so rather than how it used to be before where governments were sort of obviously initiating and um getting everyone to come um to to sort of kind of kind of pushing everyone to be more aware about their health i feel mm. like we need to take the initiative in a sense and so that a lot of that needs to do with um, more grassroots sort of community projects. Okay. Yeah. Um, I feel like that would be better in the sense that you could you could reach groups that are again hard to reach. Exactly. Yeah. So that's my point so yeah. far. It might change later yeah. on. I'll let you know. But thank you very much. That's very insightful. Thank you. And you're so it. eloquently spoken. Like you put wow. myself and Mohammed, even though he doesn't want to admit it, to shame. We no, fight the English. I'm sorry, but I was struggling for words here. But yeah, Mohammed, shout out. Yeah, um, basically, um, yeah. Um, just want to thank you again. Like Beauty said, thank very you. insightful yeah. discussion. Um, do you have any social media or any platforms yeah. that you want to share out to shout out anything okay so on my Instagram I'm done <laughs> she's the first person that's actually like actually I have a list guys <laughs> we love someone with a chest no we love it we yeah. love it go on okay so my Instagram is wandering.dreams and then uh, on, I have a, on my bio I have a link to my website where mm-hmm. I write articles mm-hmm. I haven't written any yet over here but something I want to try and get back into so it's kind of like just general things that I, I was more interested in so like health but also politics culture You're so cute <laughs> thank you so yeah. you thank you very much I'm aware um, <laughs> what else um, so this is our final episode 
with vaccine with the whole vaccination movement yes a lot of people have been asking me questions oh when is this going to finish honestly and it's but a honestly, bit rude like <laughs> honestly we've given you four great episodes yeah. on, on vaccinations but we're going to move on and beauty's going to explain our next theme for the next month yeah guys so it's been a while me and Mohammed have kind of been to and froing about this but we're trying to keep things very current with what we see in the news in public health circles yeah. and we've decided that we want to speak about sickle cell and yeah. its prevalence within the black community yeah. uh, especially black Brits here in the UK um, so we're going to follow a similar plat- um, structure or outline in the same way we've done with the vaccine Theme, mm-hmm. as in like mm-hmm. the first the first week and the third week we're gonna speak to guests yeah. i think our first episode will focus on sickle cell and the way it transpires within the community exactly with the guests yeah and then we'll have commentary on that as usual and then the second one will the sorry the third episode would focus on how we can combat that with blood donations yeah and how that transpires in our community as mm-hmm. well. So a lot to think about and commentary after. <laughs> so a lot to think about and focus on. And yeah, hopefully Moana this Mona, this is not the last time you're on our podcast. Yeah, I'll <laughs> yeah. I'll crash your party. Guys. Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. Awesome. And, and if you've got any questions on today's please, episode, guys, send we've them got the curious in. cat. So yeah. send your questions through. Any any issues, anything. Comments. Comments. <laughs> um yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. Thank Until you. next time. Bye. Bye. You know which one to press.